0: Hi, and welcome back to the American Spouse. I'm your host, Elizabeth Smith. I'm excited to introduce you to Sarah this week. She shares with us her quite harrowing experience with MHPI housing, which is another way of saying base housing. It stands for Military Housing Privatization Initiative. And she talks about some major struggles that she had with MHPI. And she also shares with us her involvement in AFHA, which is the Armed Forces Housing Advocates Organization, and all of the amazing work they're doing. I know that I'm not alone in seeing some pretty wild headlines lately about military housing and things that are going on there that do not seem right. And Sarah shares with us what her experience was like and what AFHA is doing to help make this better for our military community. And it's an extremely insightful episode, and I'm so grateful to Sarah for her time. After you listen, be sure to check out the show notes and our notes on social media as well, where we'll include some more information on how you can get in contact with AFHA, whether that's to help, whether that's for their services, or whatever you may need. Let's get started.
1: Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm an active duty Army spouse, currently stationed in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, with my husband, who's a paratrooper, and our young, almost three-year-old son.
0: And we were in North Carolina for a little bit, so we weren't at Fort Bragg, but I know the area well. And did you guys get a bunch of snow? We did, surprisingly. Yeah,
1: Yeah, so we've been here for, as a family, about two years. My husband's been here slightly longer Uh uh, before we were actually able to move down. But just two weeks ago, we got like three to four inches, which is basically unheard of for right. <laughs> so <it's
0: laughs>
1: Snow on top of the sand. Yeah. It got really yucky. So of course, being in the South, um, we're originally from Pennsylvania. So I don't know okay. how to drive in the snow. You're seasoned. Yeah, we're used to snow coming every winter. But folks down here don't really know what to do with it as much. Mm-hmm. So everything closes down and people don't go out on the roads. And we just hunkered down in the house and tried to stay warm and made some hot chocolate and made the best of it. Yeah. being in the South with all that snow, but <laughs> sure. I'm cool also.
0: <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Well, can you jump in and tell me a little bit about MHPI housing and your experiences with that?
1: Yeah. So I guess I can take it from the top with my story, our family's story, which We'll then go into everything that I have come to learn about the MHPI program, as well as my involvement with the Armed Forces Housing Advocates, but uh, starting with just my experience. And I've come to know that my experience is not unlike so many other families across the nation, across all the branches living in MHPI project housing.
0: I was just going to say, let's, let's save everybody because I'm often bad about that and tell us what that abbreviation is.
1: (laughs) So it's what, you know, your military housing experience to be like now, Mm -hmm. right? So it's on base, on post, on installation, however you want to phrase it. It's quote unquote base housing. Even if the neighborhood itself isn't technically on the installation past the gate, it's specifically managed by the DOD project partnering company to provide homes to military families. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about MHPI housing. In our case, we were on the installation, on Fort Bragg, so on base housing. Um, My husband is enlisted, so we were in junior enlisted housing, And what we generally expected to get when he first decided to enlist and we were looking into what our options were going to be upon getting our first duty station assignment in terms of our BAH allowance and what we could afford housing wise. And we ultimately opted to live on post because of the benefits that it allows people, right? Like the community, the neighbors, him being very close to work, access to the commissary, et cetera. All those things that you factor into when you decide whether or not you're going to live Mm -hmm. on the installation or off the installation in a different area. Depends on where you're stationed to with the cost of living. So Fort Bragg is generally pretty reasonable. Uh, So early 2020, right after the pandemic hit in March, we secured the address. We were on the wait list for about six months. Um, and we finally got our address offered to us. Pandemic hit. And my son and I, um, at that time, he had just heard one. So by the time we got down here, he was only 13 months old. So we moved in April of 2020, still at like the height of COVID 19. Um, yep. When we first got down here, my husband was still working. Remotely doing the virtual learning as much as the arm was able to afford them that. And, um, daycare had just opened up, but most businesses were still very limited hours or closed. Mass mandates were the norm. So sorry to trigger anybody <laughs> as I'm recalling <laughs> all of the Right. Gosh, you're That's not kidding. Our, our, yeah, our nationwide uh, trauma here from, yeah. from COVID uh, trigger warning. Well, that kind of plays into everything else that happened, right? So we moved right when COVID was really a big thing and a big part of people's lives. and uh-huh was happening a lot more. So we didn't think anything of it the first few months of being in our house when my son developed chronic respiratory issues. okay. So we moved when he was 13 months old. So just above a year. He's not talking yet. He can't tell me what hurts. It's his first year that he was in a daycare center. Before that, when he was a baby, my in-laws kindly watched him while I was working full time. And my husband was at basic training. So he was in a daycare environment for the first time in his little, life. And initially we just thought it was daycare blues. We went and tested and quarantined for COVID at least four times with wow. that year. And after exhausting so many appointments with his physician for the same symptoms over and over, just a, a nagging cough, he would get nosebleeds. He would um, be like wheezing. His breathing sounded stressed. Um, he would cough so much to the point he would make himself throw up because he just couldn't, it never seemed like he was breathing clean air. Uh He was really the only one in our family that seemed to be affected by this. My husband and I, we were off and on like kind of sick throughout the year, but nowhere to the extent that our son was. And it got so bad that I wasn't losing wages because I had to take off work to take care of him or constantly driving to the doctors and because of COVID restrictions his daycare would mandate that he would have to be home for 48 hours, symptom free, right. fever free. So, when this was happening, and this isn't an exaggeration, every other week, going on a stretch of close to six to nine months, it became debilitating for me to try to work a full time job, move to a new place, adjusting, and not knowing what was making my child so sick. And we didn't want to jump to the conclusion that it was our house, right? So we moved there kind of knowing that Fort Bragg and military housing in general sort of had this bad reputation, right? We're like, eh, it's not going to happen to us. Sure. We saw our house, everything looked normal, um, but the more I started talking to other families and talking to some of the other spouses who also upon moving into their on base house started having sick babies and sick pets that maybe we had a mold problem in our house. So about one year of being in that house, we had already had our inspection. I went to his physician and I said, we don't know what to do. This has to be something environmental and his physician agreed that perhaps there was something in our home that he was allergic to, or that he was at least sensitive to that would bother him more than us because his respiratory system is still developing at that age. So adults are affected a little bit differently than babies and and toddlers are. Uh, So we kind of started there. And I had a sneaky suspicion that these black spots in our carpet weren't just sand. Mm -hmm. They weren't just dirt being tracked into the house and they would get worse and worse. The more I would shampoo and clean our carpet and clean our floors. And I said to my husband, you know what? I, I think maybe we should start looking here. Maybe it's underneath the flooring. Maybe we do have mold in this house and that's what's causing him to be so sick so often So we started there. I requested that maintenance do an inspection on our house to look in every nook and cranny to just to see if there was a possibility of something growing that was making my son sick. Well, I didn't expect the reaction that I got when we requested this. And that was essentially denying that there was any possibility at all in my claim. Wow. And We were kind of made to feel crazy. Wow. So what ended up happening was uh, when they came out to do the inspection, they brought a representative from the government side of housing, from the actual government housing office, uh, residential communities initiative. Their representative found that underneath the house, so it was a single family home and kind of ranch styled house that was built in the 1950s. Uh, So super old not connected to any other buildings and it's the South. So they don't have basements or not nearly the way that um, homes built in the North. That's kind of the regular there Uh to have a basement underneath your house. So they have a crawl space underneath a lot of the homes down here. And there was a water leak coming from somewhere in the house that flooded our crawl space. We had a broken sump pump that we didn't know for how long it wasn't working And the entire underneath of the house was destroyed by water damage. And when they found it, I said, that has to be it. That makes sense to me that it could potentially be growing up into the floors because those conditions um, are perfect for mold to grow, especially with how hot and humid it is during these months. That has to be it. We were still never given an answer as to whether or not the water damage underneath the home had caused there to be mold growing in the house.
0: Yes or no. Really? (laughs) And and you think that was just sort of a hesitance to provide the actual confirmation. I mean,
1: it seemed that way Uh, we couldn't wrap our heads around why they can't just tell us. Right. Because it's not like we were going to do anything other than, Hey, please fix it. Right. (laughs) Could you please, this is prevented. Yeah, Um, And what we ended up finding out later after going through two months of displacement, while we were waiting on repairs, we sent our son to live in Pennsylvania with his grandparents within days of being out of the house, his symptoms got better. And he was, so that was kind of our confirmation that it had to have been something in our environment that, you know, caused him to be so sick all the time. Um, So we waited in displacement for answers Finally, we got to the point where we were either able to break our lease without any uh, recourse, or we could select a new address on post because the repairs were going to take so much longer, I guess, than anticipated, and we ultimately ended up choosing to move off the installation. So after that entire ordeal, we were exacerbated. It continued to affect my ability to, to work. And like I said, I had lost wages from the amount of time and energy I had to put into taking care of my son and then trying to figure out what the problem was, as well as communicate and in, engage the maintenance people to give us adequate information so that we could understand right. what was really happening. So that was kind of a very long <laughs> way to tell the story of no, not introduction at all. to military housing. And during that time, I reached out to Armed Forces Housing Advocates, and that's actually how I became later involved with AFA, was I had worked with, who is now our legislative director. At that time, she was acting in a different role, but she was our advocate during our case. And without her involvement, I don't think we would have gotten to the point where we felt empowered enough to ask for the right things form the okay. right people and get us to the point where we could ultimately choose and take back ownership of our living situation to the point where we could say, no, we don't accept this offer to live on post. We would like to move off the installation, please.
0: And so was that something that they initially, were they only going to give you the option of moving to a different house on post? Did you have to fight for that ability to move off post?
1: it felt like we were going to have to fight for it. I can't say for certain, just because of the way the events transpired, whether or not they were going to say, omit that option from us, because we had an advocate involved. I just don't know. Uh Definitely had we not contacted her, I think in my mind at that time, I just thought that that was never going to really be an option, right? Like I remembered having this preconceived notion that Because we're already here, we're locked into this lease, we already signed another one, we're trapped, and there's no way that we're going to get out of this. And upon signing the lease or accepting military housing, these weren't things that my husband and I, now in hindsight, we will never forget this, and we will always think about this for the future. But being a new military family back then, we trusted the military and the military housing uh, company to provide us with safe and habitable housing. We never in our wildest dreams thought that we could potentially be living in conditions that would make our child sick.
0: Right. And they never confirmed any, the presence of mold or anything. They just.
1: No, they actually, we requested that the environmental people come and do an air quality test Uh on the house, but they conducted it after the repairs were finished. So we didn't get conclusive information about whether or not, you know, and there's things to be said about air quality tests too and their validity. It, huh. That's also information that we came to learn. But we at that time didn't know how to best advocate for ourselves and ask for sure. testing or what we needed in order to get the confirmation so that I could at least make an executive decision. Okay, my son is going to be sick if we continue living like this. How do I get him out of this environment permanently? Or how do we fix the environment so that we can carry on with our lives? And this no longer affects my work. This no longer affects my husband's work because talk about readiness, right? And that's a big portion of what goes into the, I I guess, the controversy surrounding military housing um, because it's actually so much more deeper and in some senses insidious because it does affect the families more than one might realize more than the public might realize if they're not familiar, if they don't have someone um, in their family, that's close to them that has served and has lived in military housing with their families. They might not be privy to a lot of this information. That's just now, like you said, we're starting to pick up traction and we're starting to get a lot more of the public focusing on these issues and bringing them to light right. because it affects readiness. It affects retention rates. If your soldier or your sailor or your Marine has to worry about their family's well-being in a home that they trusted to be provided that was going to be safe for their family while they're serving their country, they might not be as apt to re-sign another enlistment afterward, right? Without oh, a doubt,
0: them. right? Yeah, I And that's something, again, from my vantage point, which is, of course, not one that has all the information about anything, but we've talked about that in so many different avenues where, like you said, the things that play into readiness that I don't want to be so dismissive as to say people aren't thinking about up in the upper ranks of all of these decisions, but it's hard for us where we are to understand how they could truly be prioritizing it when you find yourself in situations like yours where of course I like to think sure someone understands that a soldier needs to know their family is taken care of in order to continue in their mission and choose to continue when given that opportunity. But then you see evidence like this that just, you know, at best I guess makes me wonder. And the priority that a family has in the eyes of active duty person, I think sometimes is not recognized well enough or is not necessarily given the weight that it should when it comes to retention, when it comes to readiness, why are people leaving? And I just think about when we sit down and think about the stay in, get out conversations, how much faster those conversations would be decided had we just been displaced and had a child that was sick for a year because of all these answers that you were fighting for. So- I hear you, I suppose, is what I'm saying there. And I I really can't imagine walking through all that. And I think most parents can relate to a degree of what you went through when it comes to how often, again, like you said, because the understandable hypervigilance of daycares and schools right now, that all kids are home more than normal. And we're all, anyone who works is feeling that strain, but to not only be dealing with that, but for your child to actually be regularly sick and not have those answers had to just be heartbreaking. I mean, emotionally so too.
1: It was the most emotionally exhausting year of my life easily. Sure. Not knowing what was wrong absolutely killed us because we just felt helpless. And it wasn't so bad. Like an easily, I not that this is any better by any means. That's not what I'm saying. But like if my child, God forbid, had cancer, And they could identify it right away that it was cancer and that there's a specific treatment plan for a child with cancer. And you generally kind of know what to expect because the doctors now with all of their research, they can pinpoint and identify what it is. And you at least know the direction that you're going in. Again, not that that's probably even harder. And I would never wish that on anybody, but to still have some degree of chronic stress and chronic illness, despite it not being, you know, life threatening. Right. But you're still living in this fight or flight mode and a survival state of trying to get your child well and functioning to like a normal degree. Like, you know, daycare kids, they're always going to be germy. Kids in school are always going to be germy. It's part of their development. They have to get sick and build their immunities, But after several rounds of being in either the ER or the physician's office, to be told this isn't normal. And you should probably look into other things that might be causing this because to (sighs) have him this sick all of the time is not normal for a child this age, even in daycare, right?
0: Right. Yeah. And like you said, to just not have any plan of attack or course of action or, like you said, to not have any root cause. So you don't even know what the right steps are to take. Like, had you known get him out of this house, (laughs) that would have made a lot of your feelings different, I'm sure. But yeah, the fact that for him to just be sick over and over and not have any sort of understanding of cause or things that really were helping, I can't imagine just the helplessness.
1: Yeah. It's truly helpless, but Once I got in contact with Armed Forces Housing Advocates and I met my advocate, Rachel, that put Mm -hmm. us on a more positive trajectory for the rest of the year. (laughs) So the way our lives played out after having been introduced to the organization um, was really for the better. Uh, Not only did we move off post, so we got our new house, we got ourselves in a safe situation. But after living through what I did I felt a call to action and I wanted to get involved. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to help as many people as I could. And that's exactly what AFA does.
0: Yeah. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about the different ways that they help.
1: So we are a grassroots nonprofit. All of the founders are either a veteran or a military spouse or have been a military spouse across all the different branches. And We are a digital agency, so none of us are centrally located to one duty station, nor have we met each other because of our duty station, which definitely Mm. makes us super unique. Uh, So we're all in our little corners of the United States right now, operating remotely through social media, through our website, through email. We're able to connect with each other and then connect with our community of families who need our help. So we participate in what's called empowerment advocacy. So it's a direct advocacy service. We have a family, fill out an intake form. They come into our system and they are then assigned an advocate to help them with their case with the housing company. So we are there as advocates to empower, number one. Um, We're there as their emotional support system. Most of us have lived through it. That's how we kind of came to be. So we know firsthand what they're going through and what it feels like. Um, and then second, we serve to educate them. So we're teaching them about their tenants' bill of rights. We're teaching them about the dispute resolution process that they have a right to use in order to get these kinds of disputes and issues solved. And then we're also functioning to collect data from all of these cases so that we can communicate with legislators and try to drive change in the House and the Senate for military families. And that's a big component of what we do. So, We advocate, we're on the ground, so to speak, talking with the families and building community, but we're also gathering data and making our own reports so that we can communicate with our elected officials who are interested in making housing better for military families.
0: I think that that's amazing. And I think that that's so important because I don't know, aside from talking to you and hearing about that, had I been in that situation, I wouldn't know where to go outside of spouse Facebook groups and asking friends. And that's a way that military families get a lot done, quite frankly, right? But to have an actual resource and to have, like you said, the data on different cases and what people have already been through and some of those precedents and stuff, I think has to be extremely helpful in the reassurance, because I can imagine in your position too, where you're not trying to upset people or rock the boat or Cause an issue, but at the same time, you're protecting and advocating for your family. And so I think just having someone reassuring you about what your course of action is, what your rights are and what you can do and what you're entitled to ask for has to be extremely important to people going through that.
1: Oh, it's paramount. And we don't just advocate for environmental hazards. So like my case happened to be mold. But Mm -hmm. fortunately, military housing faces so many other recurring issues, such as children falling out of windows and sustaining traumatic brain injuries. Uh, We also take on ADA violations cases, as well as PCS homelessness is another issue that we address. And two of those things that I mentioned, like the window falls and ADA or Fair Housing Act compliance, two of our biggest wins for the year of 2021 was directly supporting language in the FY 2022 NDAA for Evans Law and reasonable accommodations for military families with disabilities.
0: And could you tell me more about what that was?
1: Yeah. So in the NDAA, which if you don't already know or if anyone in the audience doesn't already know, um, it's the series of federal laws that specify the annual budget and the expenditures for the DOD for that year. So it's the defense spending, right? And it encompasses things like pay, health care expansions, military childcare, military spouse employment initiatives, everything that makes military family life what it is and what you know it as probably stemmed from provisions within the NDAA, right? So housing is in there. Sections 2812 and 2813 are our direct supports. Evans law amendments. This means that military housing companies or the MHPI companies can no longer say that Evans law is not applicable to them. So they must provide the proper um, accommodations or alterations to make sure that windows on second stories are safe and prevent a small child from falling out of them.
0: And so prior to this, that was a law for non-military housing, right? That was a requirement, but that somehow military housing was exempt from this.
1: We had seen cases where they were able to claim that yes, that it was not applicable to them. Wow. And that if card installed on their windows they would have to pay for it out of pocket
0: this is blowing my mind a little bit that's and by the i mean that's (laughs) rage inducing (laughs) i mean
1: it's not unheard of at all in military communities Um, it's just very difficult and very uh triggering to talk about for a lot of the families who have had this happen to them absolutely such a, a like a freak accident that you have to mentally process as a parent and then to try to convey to other people outside of the military or even within the military that this is actually a systemic issue with military housing itself. Um, You kind of feel a little bit nuts, but we're here to tell you that No, you're not. It absolutely happens way more than it should, way more than normal within military housing. And now on paper, in law, we have provisions that can help prevent this from happening.
0: Well, good for you. That's amazing. And thank you for the work you're doing, because the importance of the laws and the importance of just awareness for, obviously, I'm in the military community and have no idea. And I'm sure, fortunately and unfortunately, you don't know about a lot of it until You have to, right? Until you're forced to learn about it one way or another. So the fact that there's a resource of, of experts.
1: I don't think it's going to happen to you until it happens to you.
0: Right. And I did want to go back to, you had mentioned another thing that you work with, which I believe I understand this term. And it's one that I think is perhaps a lot more common when you mentioned PCS homelessness. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so I haven't directly worked on very many PCS homelessness cases myself. um, Mm -hmm. But it is something that we do get inquiries about. PCS homelessness happens when essentially you get orders to a new duty station and you have a certain amount of time that you have to scramble to get your family move ready to research the new duty station housing area to make sure your BAH lines up with the cost of living there. And then actually securing the place in which you're going to live. And we've seen a staggering number of military families not able to secure housing upon their arrival date for their new duty stations. Mm-hmm. There's a few things that affect this. I would argue not just MHPI, but you also have to look at like there is a housing crisis going on right now. Okay. So like sure. affects things and the cost of rent right now and inflation affects things. But It also affects military families because we are allowed, with our BAH, we should be getting the adequate amounts that match the cost of living for our duty stations so that we can obtain housing and our service member can go to work at that duty station. But when we have families who have been on wait lists for ungodly amounts of time and there's no end in sight for them and they encroach upon that date, They essentially have nowhere to go because they have no new address. And again, readiness and retention, that affects their service members' ability to report to their duty stations so that they can get to their new job and carry on with the service that they signed up to do. Meanwhile, your stuff might be in storage or you're waiting on your household goods and you don't have access to a lot of your property and you're living in temporary housing displaced in a hotel for far beyond what your allotment is,
0: which means you're paying out of pocket for that too.
1: Yes. Right. So that's something that we record and we try to get as much data and visibility on as well. Um, like I said, I haven't personally worked on the case. Sure. I'm sure it's coming. PCS season is coming up. So we're right. probably going to start seeing an uptick in some of those cases as well, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: th- that's just another one of the categories that uh, we're trying to collect data on and trying to help as many families as possible.
0: Yeah. I just love it. There's a lens on that, you know, and of course I'm sure there are many, but that that's being tracked and that you guys are advocating for that kind of thing is fantastic because that's very real. And I know that's one that fortunately we haven't been directly impacted by, but is very, I think most people can turn left or right and see someone who has been to some degree. And whether that's, I know our fam camp, like our camp, area on base was booked out and was nearly impossible to get into because that's what people were doing. They were living there in a camper until they could get a home to live in, which feels like that should not be the best option if that's not what you want to be doing, if that's what you want to be doing by all means. But families living in campers while they wait for a home is the way it should be.
1: Yeah. So we're, we're out here trying to make things better for our service members and better for the families. I love that. And it's going to be a long fight because the end goal that we hope to end up with would be to either get more oversight from the Department of Defense on the MHPI program, because um, that's really the biggest uh, glaring issue with MHPI in general is the structure does not allow for a lot of oversight. And that's why we see things like Balfour Beatty and Hunt in the news being charged and convicted of fraud for millions of dollars that they stole from families and stole from the DOD. And Mm -hmm. it's like, how are they still remaining in their contract to manage homes after all that? And the answer is, it's by design. The the program is not necessarily set up for, like I said, the oversight to make it successful for there to be enough checks and balances to make sure that they are not actively defrauding their tenants. What they get is they get incentives. And that is to profit off of their contracts is through incentive fees. And that's a lot of the money that they stole, Balfour Beatty and and Hunt, military housing. So- If we cannot get the proper oversight over the MHPI program from the DOD, either through things like the NDAA, getting amendments in there, getting certain provisions to make things actively better, if they can't give uh, the amount of oversight that is needed in order to improve the program as a whole and ensure habitability and safety for families, then we say that the MHPI program needs to be dissolved entirely scratch the whole thing. We can come up with something new. There will have to be someone out there that could take the place and take it back over. If that means handing it back over to the DOD. uh, We're all trying to come up with our own ideas. And um, as we talk with more of these families, as we talk with more service members, um, a lot of people have their own own ideas for what it could look like in a better world if we were able to make it a reality. How are we ultimately going to Fixed military housing for the long term. Right. And And it's going to come down to something either being dissolved or being entirely rewritten.
0: Right. Well, and you know, I think too, the world, you know, your organization as an example is completely digital. The world is a lot smaller. And I think that at the time when a lot of these contracts were put in place, at the time when a lot of this was built out, things were a lot more isolated and siloed. So what was happening on one base people weren't privy to on another base or even across the street. Sometimes there wasn't a Facebook group sharing about a mold issue, sharing about broken heat, you know? And so I think that you're definitely onto something and the data that you guys are collecting will be, I'm sure, invaluable in that process, but that is a blessing of where we are now is that there's a lot more visibility to all that. And there's a lot more communication and and the strength in numbers of it all, I think is important too.
1: Yeah, in a weird way, as grim as the situation is for so many families in these houses, like you mentioned, we're not siloed anymore. We have technology, we have resources like Facebook that have connected us in ways that we're just now seeing in like in history. Right. Not to be dramatic, but it's true.
0: No, you're right. No, yeah.
1: I'm so thankful for those resources because it's how I came to know our team at AFA and we all sign up every single day sit down in front of our computers or our devices to talk to each other and to connect with people that we otherwise would not have ever met across the country at different duty stations because we want to help families. We want to help our community and our community isn't as isolated just from duty station to duty station anymore. Right. It's everywhere. It's omnipresent. Communicate with people, mostly Facebook, but there are other platforms for sure. Like TikTok and Instagram, Yeah, that's part of like the, the uniqueness to this too, is yeah. their strength in numbers, uh, there's strength in the friendships and the bonds that we've been able to form with each other.
0: The next question that I have for you in regards to all of this is, well, for one, I'm going to get all of your contact info for people who are looking to reach out for services, who are interested in helping, all that sort of stuff. But I'm also curious, big picture, as a military community what can we do how can we help or are there ways that we can use our voices to make this better
1: yeah and i love that question because um i would say is the military community keep talking to each other i think that the biggest source of momentum that we have for change is utilizing things like we talked about like our technology our facebook groups our connections online to have these conversations about what can be done, what we would like to see in a reasonable aspect, right? But what we can do uh, small scale. So start at your installation, start at wherever your duty station is, talk to your friends, talk to if you're a service member, talk to your chain of command, show up to the town hall meetings. If they're being held at your duty station Talk to your garrison commander if they are open to having conversations with the service members and families who are living at that installation. Mm -hmm. Fill out your ICE complaints and your ICE surveys. Fill out the cell surveys that they send out. Basically, do your part to get as much information out there as you're able to with the resources that are being given to us right now, like those feedback surveys, like those feedback tools. Um, And then with, with social media and your neighbors, Share as much as you can, and I want to say thank you for saying you will be sharing our information, but mm. we are definitely the resource and the authority on this topic, so we provide as much education and information as often as we are able to. So just educate yourself on things like if you hadn't heard of the tenants' Bill of Rights before listening today, or you hadn't heard of what the NDAA is before listening today, uh, go Google that. And then think about things, go read it, think about things that can make your community better and ask your civilian counterparts, your families who like support your spouse's journey, being a service member, and you're probably missing and living far away from right now. Tell them to also get involved and read about these things. Call your representatives, call your senators, look who's on the armed services committees for the House and the Senate and write letters, emails, etc, things like that. So there's a lot of um, room to be civically involved in this Mm -hmm. with our system. And I would encourage, even if you feel like you're a nobody, right? You're not you're a citizen here, your voice matters just as much Mm -hmm. as anyone else's. And it doesn't matter your rank, if you're a service member, whether you're a private or an officer Your voice matters if you're living in military housing and the conversation matters. So I would just encourage people to keep talking about it and keep getting involved where they're able to.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. And again, I'll put all of your info and the organization info in the show notes, website, social media, all that good stuff. So if you're listening, be sure to check that out too. And before we wrap up, no one escapes without the rapid fire round, which is <laughs> yay, not at all relevant to anything else we've discussed,
1: That's but funny. hopefully it'll be kind of a pick me up because I know what we just talked about is some sure. grim,
0: <laughs> but so important and truly brings me comfort to know that, that your organization is doing this and that they're working toward these things that do are just maddening when you read about them. And I know that I'm not alone in that, and seeing the news articles and just seeing what people are going through is extremely frustrating. So, I'm very grateful to you and all of your colleagues for doing what you're doing. Oh,
1: thank you for but that. Yes. Of course. This is a story of triumph. And
0: yes. And I love that you've made it that way. Yes. Yes, that you've chosen to do that and turn your story into that is very inspiring and uplifting. So not, a, not at all grim. <laughs> so on that note, let's hop over to these and tell me who is your favorite musician?
1: Um, my favorite musician? I have several, but if I think about all time favorites and music that I always feel like I can kind of like come home to and brings me a lot of comfort will I think I always come back to my favorite band, which is My Morning Jacket. And I discovered them when I was in middle school and high oh. school. And throughout the years, they've just always brought me so much comfort. And yeah. I, love vibes. I love like the alternative, folky, indie style. But I mm. listen to music of all genres. And I have to say that they're probably my my all-time, lifetime favorite.
0: I love it. It's like a comfort food for music.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: If you could change, and I think we might know the answer to this one perhaps, but if you could change one thing about mill spouse life, what would it be?
1: So I'll it's something that's not housing related, um, maybe something else that a lot of well. other spouses can relate to. If I could make a change, I would say, hmm, perhaps, and again, maybe this is coming from post-COVID, I don't know, but maybe it felt like this before COVID times too. I wish it wasn't so isolating in the beginning. Now mm-hmm. that we're about three years deep and I feel like I've found mm-hmm. my people, so to speak. The beginning, although like we did have COVID, so like, that may have changed my perspective on things too, but I still feel as though COVID or no COVID, it was a very difficult start for me to acclimate to this lifestyle. And this is probably one thing that just kind of goes along with it. I don't know that it could necessarily be changed, but in a perfect world, I would wish that we all didn't have to feel so alone in the community when we're first acclimating. That was my experience. I know other spouses who have said that that's their experience.
0: Definitely. Yeah, you're not alone in that.
1: Yeah, I see posts on spouse pages on Facebook looking for friends, just moving here, trying to reinvent their lives all over again. But of course, like I said, it's the nature of the beast. But I I wish there was a way that when you are moving to a place or you are just getting your soldier or your service member is just getting out of boot or basic training, you had a little bit more of a connection to everything so that you
0: didn't feel like you're navigating it completely on your own. Yes. Yep. I definitely do not think you're alone in that feeling at all. Okay. What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a child? <laughs> um, well, so many things
1: <laughs> changed quite often. Okay. So I'll go with like the really funny, ironic one. The really funny, ironic one was I actually wanted to be in the military. <laughs> when I was in high school, a little bit in middle school too, I started exploring the idea of this career path when I I think when I was in eighth grade or so. So for like a few years, like eighth grade into like my sophomore year of high school, Uh I wanted to go into the army and do ROTC through college because I wanted to become a JAG attorney. Oh,
0: cool. Okay. That's awesome.
1: That was my dream once upon a time. And then other life things happened in the course of the rest of those years. And then my early mm-hmm. adult years, I never really returned to that aspiration. Mm-hmm. In different directions, which I'm thankful for because I do love my okay. career now. But it is actually quite poetic that I ended up getting this opportunity to work with military families in a professional right. capacity and help them. It's not as an attorney and it's not. From the inside, not wearing the uniform, but I feel but still, like, yeah, fulfilled as I think I wanted to be back then when I thought about my career path.
0: Yeah, I love that. That really is very poetic. I agree with you completely. That's awesome. I love it. So, last one is what is your favorite way to relieve stress?
1: Favorite way to relieve stress? I would say going for a walk. I'm not big into. Organized exercise per se. Um, uh-huh. I've been known to do and go to yoga studios, so I like yoga quite a bit. Uh-huh. The longest running technique I have used for as long as I could remember is just going for a good old power walk and getting some fresh air. Mm-hmm. I like that. Right now, we're not living in a development with sidewalks, so hopefully our next house, we will have that option. So that was the one nice thing about living on the installation was every single day uh, Mm -hmm. I would take a break from work and I would do my laps all around the block and I would walk almost the entirety of the neighborhood by the end of the day. Yeah. So it's good to get the blood pumping and good to breathe in fresh air Mm -hmm. as much as we can.
0: All right. Last thing, can you leave us with your favorite quote?
1: (laughs) Oh, okay. So I laughed so much about this as I was preparing and I was talking to our executive director, Kate, uh, telling her about the questions that I'm, I'm hoping to be able to answer and, uh, mentally preparing for my first podcast here. This is the only question that I was a little bit stressed about being potentially asked oh, funny. and I wish like I, I would have loved to come here with like a super inspiring kind of like, bookish profound quote because for one who reads as much as I do you would think that I have one but the only thing that came to my mind was not so much a quote but the entire script from Steven Spielberg's Jaws
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is amazing and you are without a doubt the first person to answer with that (laughs)
1: It would have been, yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: that's awesome.
1: My husband will laugh too because he makes fun of me. So I'm like a classic film fanatic too. So okay. that's like another hobby of mine is classic films.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And that is one of my all-time favorite films. So uh, I, no lie, know most of the dialogue by heart to that film and it's quoted regularly. And my husband pokes fun at me for being such a nerd about it all the time. Yeah. So when I told him like, hey, what's my favorite quote? He was like, you can
0: everything, everything
1: in Jaws You, you can like the <laughs> whole movie. And I was like, okay, we're just gonna go with that.
0: <laughs> That's wonderful. I love it. And you absolutely win the award for the most unique answer to that question so far. <laughs> well, I'm so glad. <laughs> wonderful. Thank you again so much to Sarah for sharing your story and for all the amazing work that you're doing. For those who'd like more information, be sure to check out our show notes and you can check out afhousingadvocates.org and you can also follow them on social media at afhaorg you can also keep up with us on social media at the American Mill Spouse and we'll talk to you again soon